Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, and James 5, verses 7 to 11. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. James chapter 5, verse 7 to 11 says this, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You must also be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Amen. Amen. And a special word of thanks to Herschel and Lee French, uh, who are a marvelous part of our staff here at Bumsey. Uh, We're grateful to them for sharing in the reading today, and Shelby for the marvelous prayer Uh, that helped us so much. And Laura, thank you and Sadie actually for helping us with this uh, fruit of patience today. And let me just say again how grateful we are to Jeff, uh, our production team, our praise team, all of our musicians uh, who are helping to make our streaming possible. So we're so grateful to them. And most of all, we're grateful to you for tuning in today and being a part of this special time of worship on this, the fifth Sunday of Easter, we welcome you and say again what an honor it is to glorify God with you in worship. If you have been with us over the last month, you know that we are right in the thick of this series of messages called Fruitful, having to do with the fruit of the Spirit. And what we're doing during these eight to ten weeks together is we're taking a close-up, an in-depth look at the nine attributes that are listed in the reading that Lee and Herschel read from us, uh, for us from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And what we notice is that each of these fruits are characteristic of a life that is increasingly dying to ourselves and alive to the Spirit of Christ. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit is none other than the living presence of the risen Christ dwelling within us, and the outcome, the outgrowth of that indwelling are these characteristics, these fruits of the Spirit. To date, as Laura mentioned, we have considered love, joy, and peace. Of course, we know that love is the premier fruit, love is the preeminent fruit, And we've been talking about how the rest of the batch of fruit are simply expressions of divine love. For example, joy is love singing or dancing, as we said a couple of weeks ago. Peace is love resting. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what I think may be one of the most necessary and neglected fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of patience. I don't know about you, but even the sound of the word causes palpitations within me. Patience. It's been said, and I agree, 
that the shortest period of time in America is the time between when the light turns green and the horns start honking. I think that's true. Patience is a virtue, they say, and if that be true, I think we could say the reverse of that also, that sometimes impatience is a vice. Impatience can be addictive. You remember the name Immanuel Kant, who once said, patience is the strength of the weak, and impatience is the weakness of the strong. How true is that? St. Augustine once said that patience is actually the companion of wisdom. I looked up the word this week in preparation for our time together, and I noticed that Webster defines patience as the capacity to endure, the ability to withstand delay or distress, the capacity to endure disappointment, hardship, and suffering without, of course, losing your cool. There are cousins to this word patience, synonyms, which include words like tolerance, restraint, poise, self-control. But I think the truth of the matter is, both Laura and Shelby got this exactly right, that patience is love waiting. If it's true that joy is love singing, if it's true that peace is love resting, then I think it's certainly true that patience is love waiting. When I think of love waiting, you know who I think of? I think of the loving father in Luke chapter 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. Of course, the prodigal son is not the main character. The loving father is. But this is a story about a dad who had two boys, the younger, more rebellious son, took his early share of the father's inheritance, the estate, and made his way out to a far country, which is simply an Israelite way of saying he went out to make a mess of his life. You remember the loving father. The loving father didn't chase him down when he left. He didn't coerce him. He, he didn't compel him to come back. He didn't violate his grown son's will because love won't do that. What did the father do? He waited. But while he was waiting, he watched. He prayed. He hoped. He longed. He yearned. And he loved. And in the end, sure enough, the boy returned home. He came back. Why? Because he was hungry? Partly. Because he ran out of money? Maybe. But I think more than anything else, the reason he came home was because of his dad's enduring love. It was his father's patience that brought him home, that brought him back to himself, back to his intended identity. I've discovered the hard way, and maybe you have, that the longest trip you'll ever make is coming back to yourself. Patience is love, simply waiting. And that's anything but easy. It's very difficult. Betsy Childs Howard, 
has written a book called Seasons of Waiting that is worth reading in which she says, and I quote, waiting exposes our idols and throws a wrench into our coping mechanisms. Waiting brings us to the end of what we can control. But God doesn't waste our waiting. He uses it to conform us to the image of his son. Waiting. I was reading the other day about an airport in Texas where they were getting complaints from travelers and passengers who were having to wait too long at baggage claim. Some of you know this feeling. So the executives at the airport, what they did was they hired more baggage handlers in order to reduce the waiting time. And they did reduce it to eight minutes, which is not bad. But the complaints persisted. And this made absolutely no sense to the administrators until they discovered that on average, it took passengers one minute to walk from the gate to baggage claim, which resulted in a hurry up and wait situation. And they discerned that the walk time was not the problem. It was the other seven minutes of staring at an empty carousel. And so you know what they did? They moved the arrival gates farther away from the baggage claim so that now travelers have to walk a greater distance, but when they get to baggage claim, their bags are waiting for them when they get there. And as you can imagine, the complaints vanished. The leaders discovered a universal truth. Occupied time is better than unoccupied time. Let me say it like this. The length of our wait is not nearly as important as what we're doing while we're waiting. We're two weeks from Pentecost, two weeks from today, Pentecost Sunday. I was thinking the other day that between the ascension of Jesus and the birth of the church, there was a week and a half, there was 10 days. Jesus was gone and the disciples, what did they do? They, they waited. They were just waiting in an upper room. But while they were waiting, they occupied their time with prayer. And Acts chapter 2 says that while they were praying, the wind and fire fell from heaven, and the Holy Spirit just ignited the church, the witness of the body. Which reminds me, and you maybe, to never waste our waiting. Because there's strength in waiting. There's the making of power in waiting. Isaiah knew it, chapter 40, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Now, I don't have to tell you I'm preaching to the choir today. This pandemic has been a test of patience. In fact, for many of us, for me included, it is pushing a new threshold when it comes to endurance. We're discovering it's very difficult during this time to plan anything ahead, to think of the future because we just, we don't know 
Even now, we're discussing, we're consulting every day, every week about the ifs, the whens, and the hows of re-entering into some form of phasing, some new normal. And it's difficult. But I'll tell you, one of the, one of the unexpected blessings of this season for me has been that I have been pressed to live in the present. When you're unsure about next week or next month, when you're unsure about tomorrow, you really have no recourse but to live into today. And in reality, today, it's all we've got. It's the best we have. And so, through patience, we're learning to be nimble. We're learning to be spiritually agile. We're learning to be patient. It's fascinating to me that in the text the French has read for us, you see this word patience repeatedly in James chapter 5. In fact, they read it four times in five verses. James gives us three images, three pictures of patience, the farmer, the prophet, and Job. In other words, those whose vocation and personal experience personify patience. It's interesting to me that the word in Greek in which the New Testament was originally written, the word for patience is a compound word. I'm going to put it on the slide for you so you can see it. It's two words put together, macrothumia. Now, most of you know the word macro. We spell it a little differently, but it means the same. It means large or long. And thumia means anger. It means temper. It means suffering. So put them together, and what do you have? Long-suffering, long-tempered. It means you don't have a short fuse. It implies that because of the Spirit indwelling within us, we have the ability to endure, to suffer, delay, distress, and affliction without it blowing our stack without getting all riled up. And in fact, if you search the Scriptures, it's a part of the DNA of God. Psalm 103 says it like this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Macrothemia, long-suffering and abounding in steadfast love. It's interesting in Exodus chapter 34 that Moses, the deliverer, saw this patience, when he went up to Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, Exodus 34, 5 and following says, the Lord descended in a cloud and passed before Moses saying, I, the Lord, the God of mercy and grace, am endlessly patient, loyal in love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and sin yet by no means excusing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, that last line means that sin can be cyclical. But in other words, what Exodus is saying is God doesn't disregard sin. He doesn't dismiss our sin. He does something better. He forgives our sin. And the truth of the matter is God's Patience is our salvation. 
You hear it again in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, where these words are written, the Lord is not slow about His promises, as some think of slowness, but God is patient, not desiring any to perish, but all to come to repentance and new life. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, this is one of the fruits that you see in His ministry. It is absolutely astonishing to me the patience of Jesus with sinners like me. It is amazing to me the patience of Jesus with the synagogue, with the church. Jesus sees who we are, but more than that, who we yet can be. Jesus looks beyond our fault and sees our need. And a question that I think about very often is if Jesus can be so patient with me, then how on earth can I be so impatient with you? If God in His mercy is so long-suffering with us, then how can we be impatient with one another? The truth is God intends this fruit to be cultivated in you and in me. Not one of the nine fruits, but he wants us to have the whole fruit basket. God desires that this fruit of patience be cultivated in our homes. And sometimes that's the most difficult place to be patient. God desires that this fruit be cultivated in our businesses, in our communities, in our church. I think of Colossians 3.12, therefore as God's chosen ones... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want to confess something to you today. I think sometimes our need, my need, to be people fixers and problem solvers actually produces impatience in me, irritation in me. I think of the Swiss psychiatrist, psychoanalyst Carl Jung, who once said, the most serious problems in life are not always to be solved, they're to be outgrown. And that takes patience. Patience patience doesn't ripen overnight. It sometimes takes years. When I think of Jesus on the cross, I realize that Jesus did not solve the cross. He suffered the cross. He endured the cross. He bore the cross for me, (laughs) for you. The word in the old King James Version for patience, you know what it is? Forbearance. Boy, there's an oldie but goodie. Forbearance. I love that word. You hear it so seldom today. You know what it means? It means holding back. It means self-restraint. It means that when someone disses you and you feel like striking back, the Spirit says, turn the cheek. Go the second mile. Bite your tongue. Swallow your pride. Keep a top on your anger, even if it's legitimate, even if it's justifiable for the benefit of someone else. 
Because Romans 12 is right. We cannot overcome evil by evil. We can only overcome evil by good. And that takes some patience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a hero to me, a theologian par excellence who went up against the Third Reich in the 20th century, who suffered martyrdom at the age of 39, three weeks before World War II was over. He wrote a book called Life Together. It's a classic book. I think I've read this book five times. It's a book about community. It's about family. In this book, Mr. Bonhoeffer wrote an entire section on forbearance. I want to quote two lines from that book. Forbearance, says Bonhoeffer, is an expression of the mutuality of Christian community, the interconnectedness of the body of Christ, wherein the strong and the weak, the healthy and the sick, the learned and the ignorant, the dedicated and the slack, are everyone seeking ways to help the building up of the other to bear one another's burdens. Now, sometimes we're more overbearing than forbearing, but a telltale sign that you are indeed an apprentice of Jesus is your patience with people. <laughs> to lose patience is to lose the battle. It was George Eliot who said, impatient people are like bees. They bring about their own demise by stinging somebody else. I was talking to Greg this morning about George Herbert, wonderful English hymn writer and poet who once wrote a lyric that I think is very fitting for today. This is what he wrote. Poets have wronged poor storms. Such days are best. They purge the air without and within the breast. What is destructive is impatience, haste, expecting too much, too fast. One word, and I'm finished. I've been reading recently about an educator, an art historian, an art teacher at one of our universities named Dr. Jennifer Roberts. Dr. Roberts has adopted a new form of teaching, a new method of teaching that includes what she calls three things, deceleration, patience, and immersive attention. In her class in college, the first the first task that she gives to every student is to choose a work of art and then to go look at it wherever it is displayed for three hours. Now, I don't know about you, but just that statement makes me feel palpitations. I, I need a cold cloth as soon as I think about three hours looking at a, a, a picture. In fact, for some of us to be plopped in front of a painting for three hours, we'd probably be swiping our thumb on downwards on the picture looking for updates. But Dr. Roberts gives this assignment. 
She's not checking a box. She's pushing a new threshold. She knows it's a difficult assignment, which is precisely why she gives it. She's pushing patience. She doesn't expect her students, she says, to spend the whole time, three hours, in rapt attention. Rather, the goal, she says, is to feel the agitation, to experience the jitters, the fidgets, to tolerate it, to endure it, and to get through it so that we might begin to see things in the picture that we never imagined were there. Says Roberts, historically, patience is a matter of conforming yourself to the need to wait for things. It is a way of accepting one's lack of control over the world. It is a form of trusting. Now, you know as well as I do, there's absolutely nothing remotely passive about standing in front of a painting for three hours. On the contrary, it is a subversive act. But on the other side of impatience, if you can learn to endure, you just may find strength to see what you have not seen and to be what you have not been to the glory of God. The man who actually enumerated these fruits in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 knew something about patience, and he writes about it in Romans 5. This is Eugene Peterson's translation. Listen to this. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with trials because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience within us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God is to do next. In alert expectancy like this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. To the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God so generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit, not the least of which is patience, forbearance, enduring love. May it be so in me, in you, to the glory of God. Amen.